Road. We're your hosts, Morgan, Ricky, and Alyssa. We're here to share the success stories of people who took the opportunity to join the trades and how these opportunities can be achieved by anyone looking for success. Our work may be seasonal, but our stories don't have to be. Become your own success story. Hey guys, it's Middle of the Res Road. Today we're here with Alexandra and we're here to get to know her a little bit. You might you might know her. I think she's pretty famous, but before we get into that, uh, Alyssa has our events for us, and I have the trivia question after that. So I have a couple events, a little fun event. Uh, We have the Duluth Apple Palooza on October 1st, and we have the Duluth Cloquet Sober Squad Community Smudge Walk on October 2nd at 2 p.m., I'll have those, uh, the flyers listed on our Facebook for times and um, addresses of the events. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. So if anybody is available those days, those are some fun events that you can attend. All right. And on to the trivia question. I don't want to give too much away right away at the beginning, but I will. The trivia question is... What is the longest bike race in the world? Do, am I supposed to answer or do I wait until later? We'll save your guesses until the end. <laughs> okay, I have some guesses. <laughs> um, but then I will tell you the answer at the end. I'm pretty sure you probably know it. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Like, I have some ideas. <laughs> but anyways, we'll, we'll get started. Um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you grew up, where you from? Sure. Um, my name is Alexandra Houchin, and uh, I'm a citizen of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior, Ojibwe, but I grew up in southern Wisconsin. I tell everyone that I grew up by the Rock River, but I kind of switched between my dad's house in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, and my mom's house in Evansville, Wisconsin. It's kind of by Madison. Um, oh, way south. Yeah, like way <laughs> south down there. Even Janesville is even more south, like close to the Illinois border. Um, so, yeah, grew up down there, and uh, I have two siblings. I, they're both younger. I have a brother uh, who has two kids, and my sister also has two kids. And I live in my pop-up camper truck, which is a new addition to my family. I used to live in the back, in the bed of my truck, actually before that, I lived in my Honda Element, um, and then my boyfriend moved in with me, and it was just, like, way too small (laughs) (laughs) for two giant people to live in a Honda Element. Um, So we moved into his truck that is just, like, a camper shell uh, for, like, four or five months. And then when we got back up to Minnesota from Arizona, because we were wintering in Arizona, the mosquitoes. (laughs) I was like, dude, I cannot live in a camper shell uh, with the mosquitoes. Uh, so we bought just like a $2,000 pop-up camper and we've been rebuilding it slowly, uh, over the summer. We just got solar on it, which is huge. That's awesome. Yeah. We have electricity now, which is <laughs> sick. Um, and we just put our, a fridge in. So now I have no more soaking wet cheese. So Ooh. yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> you know, like when you have cooler life, like you're just like pouring water out of your cheese block. Um, <laughs> you know like when the ice melts and your cheese like falls to the bottom and it just like even if i had it in a plastic bag even if i had it in a bowl it would just always be soggy cheese so it's like the sad (laughs) super sad um so living the big life right now but yeah uh that's the short short sweet so story of my life so you winter in arizona and you just summer here yeah doesn't that sound so bougie <laughs> no it's a like bit. yeah it's it sounds really great and romantic um but we live in the camper because it's kind of 
it's really sad, like the housing situation here. Oh, for um, sure. Like I, when I was living here, I was paying like thirteen hundred dollars. I had a roommate, but we were paying thirteen hundred dollars a month for our base rent, and then you know, internet and electricity yeah. and water. I'm like, you have to work so hard to pay all of those bills, and then you're trapped in this work cycle of paying your bills and then going to work to make the bills and. I just, like, really didn't like that life, so decided to move into my vehicle. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. But to do that, um, I can't really – I'm not really – I don't have the capacity to live in the freezing cold winter up here (laughs) all winter long. So um, I have some friends down in southern Arizona who have a a chunk of land, and they have a well, too. So we have water and land – there so we've been um just last year was my first year doing it and we're going back to arizona this winter again that's so cool though i mean Mm -hmm. i see on tiktok everybody they'll either do like a van or Mm -hmm. a school bus or a camper and they just renovate it and that's what they live in and they travel all over the place so it's so cool that you can actually do that it's pretty cool i feel really lucky that i kind of get to choose what i want to do for work you know, our overhead is super low. Now we have solar, so we don't have to pay mm-hmm. for any electricity. Uh, and, you know, I paid essentially paid for my whole house. Granted, it's like 120 square feet or something. But but the idea to just get up and go. Yeah. Like, we mm-hmm. When the weather's decent, uh, we just hang out outside most of the time and just live and cook uh, inside the camper. However... We did design this really cool tailgate table. It like hangs off the side of our truck, uh, and we can cook outside then and just oh, hang like out an outside. Outdoor kitchen, that's cool. Yeah, so we have our outdoor kitchen. And that's super nice, super lucky. But it's kind of hard to, you know, I'm kind of in a million different places, and I I feel really connected to Fond du Lac and to being here at home. Um, so I always kind of feel sad, a, a little sad and a little guilty when I'm far away. Cause like my mom's here and my good friends are here, and you know everybody just wants to see me happy. So I know mm-hmm. that, but um, I still really miss everything about being here and kind of being pulled in a million different ways. But yeah, you kind of feel like um, almost like a disconnection when you're gone. I know I I get like that sometimes too. Yeah. Fortunately, like, good people and good friends here are like, you're Ojibwe no matter where you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. So when you're in Arizona, are you, do you just stay in that one spot or do you, like, travel around? We travel around. It's, okay. it's nice to have a home base wherever we are. Like, even when, when I say we spend our summers in Minnesota, we home base in Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, and that's, like, putting our camper in my friend's yard. <laughs> she lets us live in her yard. She's the best. Shout out to Ariana. Um, but then we have our home base at my buddy Justin's house, or at his on the land that he purchased. Um, and then we travel around, mostly riding our bikes and kind of training. You know, it's like nice to get a, a, hand, a heads up, a, a head start on racing season over the winter. It's mm-hmm. perfect in Arizona um, in January and February. So nice. Not too hot, sunny, perfect. So when does racing season start? I kind of think it's like a summer, a summery kind of thing. Okay. Like You're talking about bicycles, right? Pedal bike racing, mountain bike racing. Um, so I ride mountain bikes. It's been my jam for a long time now. It's so weird being like, oh. I've just been doing it for a couple years, and then I start to look back at the time clock, and I'm like, whoa, it's adding up. I'm getting older. <laughs> kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, a lot of, like, one of my favorite races, it's called the Colorado Trail Race, and that happens. Now it's kind of late summer. Uh, it used to happen in, at the end of July, but now it's the second week of August. But that's the one that I'm like, ooh, I really want to train for that. But then I try to do, like, shorter races uh, to get out with community to get my butt kicked and try hard at something I'm not that good at <laughs> yeah I was um I'm not gonna lie I was googling you before <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> and you actually set the record right for the Colorado 
for the Colorado Trail Race. Yeah. Yeah, so that was really cool. So in 2018, I kind of just signed up for my first Colorado Trail Race. The Colorado Trail Race um, is a 527-mile mountain bike race in Colorado. It's like 72,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, so, Like during the race or? Yeah, over the duration of the race. So, you know, I finish usually in six days. I've been trying for a five-day finish, but um, I've done it five times. I've raced it five times. And every time I've had a six-day finish. So, you know, that's like twelve or 14,000 feet of climbing every day. Oh. Um, and most of the race is above 10,000 feet, kind of goes between 10,000 and 13,000 feet of elevation. So it's really high. <laughs> That's crazy. I think the crazier part is you did it on a single speed bike. Yeah, I always I always ride single speed nowadays. Um, and a single speed bike just has one gear. So I pretty much ride or walk. Um, which is nice, I, I think. I don't trick myself into thinking that I can climb everything, and I don't beat myself up when it's so hard, and I'm like, oh, I should be riding. I have all these gears to do it. I just walk if it's too hard and ride when I can. That's insane. It's pretty cool. It's really uh, it helps you have a better relationship with the terrain, too, I think, because you're just in it. You have this bike, and... You're like, oh, it's hard, but oh, that must mean there's a hill, and you're just really, f I'm really fully present, a lot more so than when I'm on a geared bike, and then on a geared bike, I'm just worried about ripping my derailleur off, which is the little thing in the back that mm -hmm. shifts the gears. Um, I'm always ri worried about that, or some sort of malfunction with it, and, or if it isn't tuned up right, where it's just like clicking, and then you try to go have power, and it skips, and... It's just like with the single speed, it just work. It just works. Simple. It's good. <laughs> easy. Yeah, easy and simple. <laughs> Everyone should do it. I, I don't know. I tried it. I was like, I went out with a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, it's it's gonna be no problem. And he's like a little bit heavier set, mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, I keep up with him, no problem. And we went to uh, Pine Valley. Yeah. Last winter, and mm, I almost. I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> Were you fat biking? Yeah. Uh, nice. They have really good fat bike trails over there. It's really nice They're and fun. They're so skinny. Like, I thought I was going to fly <laughs> off the trail every time. It's <laughs> uh, so fun, though. That's awesome. It is fun. It kind of got me into into biking a little bit, and I'm just kind of getting started. But I kind of like paved trail riding most of the time. I don't sure. haven't really gotten into trails yeah i'm not a i'm not a trail rider i just like to <laughs> just the paved trail in duluth and yeah, they like have really nice trails like totally. walk and the munger and that's great i mean if that if it's getting you on a bike then i don't it doesn't really <laughs> matter if you where you're riding your bike it's just like that joy of just i don't think there's any feeling happier in the world than going down a hill on a bicycle it's like the wind in your face Every time I do that with any group of people, I look at people's faces and they're literally <laughs> smiling <laughs> like children. I'm like, this is the happiest feeling in the whole world. It's just like a tiny taste of freedom and like you're flying. Super happy. I think it also, like you said, it reminds you of childhood too. Yeah. I don't know. I always get that wobble. <laughs> get some outer tires. I think the like having the wider your tire, the more control I feel like you have, and it's a little more comfy. Um, that's why I like fat fat tires. <laughs> I like to keep it chunky. <laughs> um. Oh, that brings me to my next question too. How do you train for like the elevation when we're in Minnesota? Or that's been really that's been a really challenging thing. Um, for this year's Colorado Trail Race, I, you know, since I made this huge life decision to live in my camper and have more flexibility and I left all my desk jobs, um, I was able to go out like six weeks before the race and I just climbed 14,000 foot peak mountains, 13,000 foot peak mountains. So I was just like hiking a bunch every day. Um, but when I didn't have that before, I would just do interval training I would cross-country ski and I would fat bike here because most of the training is through the winter right 
because right. it's the summer is when these big mountain bike races are happening. So I'd be here training. Um, one year I trained for a marathon, so I was just like out running in the snow every day, which sucked. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> first off, I'm not much of a runner. I'm not very good at it, but I find that to be like super great training because it's hard. I think running is like one of the hardest things to do. So I would run, and then I got really into weightlifting. Um, so I got a membership to Anytime Fitness, and I'd watch YouTube videos of uh, some baller ladies lifting heavy weights. <laughs> I was like, I can do that. So I started getting really into deadlifting and squatting and um, doing some interval training. And that helps with a base fitness. But then when you get out into the mountains, it's just hard, especially mm. for that Colorado race. Like, everybody struggles to breathe over 10,000 feet. So I just, you know, it was a lot of mental training being like, Hey, it's hard, but it's hard for everybody, right? I, I try to remember that it's hard for everyone and to give myself a little room to just say it's hard and slow down when you have to. Um, but I think drinking a lot of water is, was and has been my secret weapon. You know, I like it makes your blood thinner and you can get more oxygen because your blood's moving a little bit faster or easier. So I just try to stay super hydrated eat my beets beforehand and just try to try to exercise and be active as I can. I'm not really too strict on training or too rigid with my lifestyle. I just try I just try hard every day. Sometimes give it a hundred percent every day. Yeah, I'm just trying <laughs> my best. Some days it doesn't look <laughs> like what my best has been in the past, but it's you know, you just try every day and every day is a new day. So Try to be kind with myself. So Ricky and I just came back from Colorado. Yeah, um, about a month ago. Nice. Has it been a month already? Yeah, we left on the 1st of September. Holy. Oh, yeah. Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've seen a, like, a bunch of like canned like air. Oh, yeah. Do you use that at all? I've never used that. Okay. I kind of make fun of it. <laughs> I'm just we've like, just seen it all over, and we're like... Do we need some of that when we go hiking? <laughs> totally. No, I've seen it. I've never used it. And I'm just kind of like, it's kind of a running joke with a bunch of my friends too. We're like, oh, go get yourself a can of air. <laughs> yeah, we we went hiking into the mountains and I think we were like 9,000 feet up and I could definitely feel the difference. Like it felt like I couldn't catch my breath all the way. Yeah, you're like, am I really this out yeah. of shape? Yeah. <laughs> I was no. like, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's definitely hard in the altitude, you know. You're just getting less for every breath you take yeah. in. So I think, you know, so much of the, what I, I do ultra endurance bike racing, which is no, no like formal definition, but loosely um, bike races that take more than two days. I don't know, maybe like over 400 miles or so or over 300 miles depending on the terrain but there's it's such a hard thing to do that you just have to have mental toughness so you know that goes back to the stuff of being like well I know it's hard for everybody to breathe so it's hard for me to breathe too and that's okay so just kind of like tricking your brain into like this is normal now and it's fine so how do you train for endurance racing though you, like, bike to the cities and back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a run in the mill. I'm going to ride to <laughs> Minneapolis. Uh, I think it's been a practice that I have didn't realize I was training for for a long time. So rewind back a decade, and I had gotten a job as a Jimmy John's bike sandwich delivery girl. So I, when I was living in Madison, we had a Jimmy John's right on State Street, downtown Madison next to the campus uh, lots of college kids and businesses down there so I did year-round bike delivery which I thought it was just fun I thought it was a great way to get paid to exercise uh, and pretty good money you know I was making like 20 25 dollars an hour oh, in nice. tips and stuff yeah so it was super great a great job in my 20s I got to have fun I partied a lot, um, but got to find exercise every day. And then that turned into a job as like an actual bike messenger where I was delivering documents and more sandwiches. We had a couple other contracts <laughs> with another sandwich company. 
Um, and that was also working out every day. But those hours were longer and the riding in the miles was harder. So there'd be like 10 mile deliveries we'd have to take all the way across town. And since it was year round, I was riding in rain and riding in snow. And um, I kind of just got used to the suffering. It was it was work, you know. So I was thrown into all sorts of situations like rain, pulling heavy loads and carrying really heavy things on my back and making sure that all the documents, you know, if it was pouring rain, I still had to be outside and deliver these documents to places, but they had to stay dry. They had to not get crinkly. And just like really learning how to understand and prepare for weather and to be super intentional about how I was riding my bike and how I was doing things. Um, And then that turned into an interest in bike touring. I wanted to see the country and I want to travel, but I had no money. But I did have a bicycle, so I saved up like a thousand bucks and decided I was going to ride my bicycle across the country. Did that, ran out of money, hitchhiked back home. (laughs) I was like, okay, that didn't work. So then I tried it again the next summer and did another trip and ran out of money again and hitchhiked back home. (laughs) You know, just kept trying to ride my bike further and further, but not trying to go fast not trying to do anything too crazy just wanted to see things and experience life and get to know myself and get to know you know the land that I live on um and then as I started getting older I started getting kind of lonely doing that stuff like all my friends started getting real jobs and getting into serious relationships and having kids and I was like let's go on a bike trip and they'd be like sorry I can't (laughs) so it got kind of lonely and I heard about uh, this ultra endurance bike racing which like I never considered myself an athlete I'm not very fit in day races like if I sign up for a day race I'm usually like in the last 20 to finish So I was like, well, bike racing isn't my thing, but this really long distance bike racing is kind of like a bike tour. And at least I might see other people on bikes with me who prioritize cycling in their lives. So I was like, maybe I'll make some friends doing this. And it was kind of in showing up to those races where I realized I'm kind of (laughs) competitive. Didn't know that. I mean, I knew I liked to be good at stuff, but then it came to bike racing. I'm like, oh, I could stay awake a little bit longer so somehow like over the time of like doing the the bike delivery to bike tour to bike racing I'd push myself a little bit further like understand developing a relationship with my endurance um so my very first race I tried to like not sleep but I couldn't I didn't bring any sleep kit and I was like wrapped up like a burrito on the side of the road in a blue tarp oh, it's so cold, and it was raining, and I was like, why did I think I couldn't sleep? Like, everybody needs sleep. But after, you know, every race, I would I would try a little bit harder. I'd try all over again. I'd try to push sleep. I'd try to ride further. I'd try to ride faster. And over time, like, all of those lessons have led me to a really solid, deep relationship with my body and my mind. And I, I can understand, like, I know how strong my mind is and it's mostly in these long races it's all mind work your body as long as you're eating food and drinking water and catching some sleep here and there um, you can really go super duper far on mental strength alone it's very well said I I would like to circle back to um, where you biked across country. Oh, that, my first trip? Yeah. Okay. So back then, uh, in my bike delivery days, I rode a bike that was called a fixed gear bicycle. So it's a single speed, but the, the cog in the back is directly mounted to the wheel. So if you pedal forward, you go forward. If you pedal backward, you oh, go backward. Okay. So it's a fixed drivetrain. So when you're going down a hill your pedals are spinning because your wheel, it's all fixed. (laughs) Like you don't ever get to coast on that bicycle. And that was the only bicycle I had with like these tiny, tiny tires or 23 mils wide, just like 
110 PSI, rock hard, super fast, <laughs> bike messenger, cool. That was the only bike I had. So I was like, well, I'm going to ride my fixie uh, from Madison to the reservation. So that was my very first trip. My mom had moved up to Fond du Lac or to Cloquet um, when she found her biological family. And I was still, you know, young. Um, so I was like, you know what? I don't really know anything about my tribal community. Um, I think I'm going to ride my bike there and think about my intention when I get there. And I was planning on, I spent a few weeks here kind of just hanging out and meeting people and relatives that I never knew I had. Um, so every day on my way here, I would think about like where I'm going and what I wanted to know and what I thought about or what I had been programmed to think about Native people and what I thought about my own identity, my newly learned identity as a Fond du Lac tribal citizen. Like, I was just an Indian, you know. Actually, yeah. it was like my mom was an Indian, and I didn't really understand anything what that meant because she was adopted, and we had people like, oh, what tribe are you from? I'm like, I don't know, some tribe in Minnesota. And they're like, okay, sounds cool. But we found out our family connections and... It was really important for me and my journey of finding out my identity. So rode that bicycle all the way to Cloquet. Actually, I rode it Moose Lake, I think. I can't remember where I called my mom, but I was like, I'm tired. Come pick me up. <laughs> you know? Still super close, though, <laughs> I know, Madison. which is ridiculous. I got so close, but, you know, it was the comfort. Of, it was like 7 o'clock at night, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. So I called her, and she totally picked me up. And then I spent a couple of weeks here um, and then rode out to Colorado. <laughs> it was a disaster. I had no idea how to bike tour. I had like an extra tire and all I had was a backpack that I tied onto my rack and I only had one bot water bottle with me. And like getting out of Minnesota was okay, you know, because there's lots of towns. Um, but yeah. As I started getting into Dakota, the Dakotas, I was like, oh. There's no towns for there's, like 100 miles. Yeah, there's no towns. There's no water. I was like taping, you know, like water bottles with duct tape, like just plastic water bottles with duct tape to the frame of my bicycle because I was like, oh, I need water. Who knew? Um, <laughs> there's not gas stations every 10 miles. That was a learning experience. So it was like I had no idea what I was doing. I was just going to go. And totally ran out of money but like met so many nice people like one that was back when five dollar footlongs were a thing one lady gave me six dollars she's like go get yourself a footlong I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> super nice um and I just tried hard and I spent all my money on hotels way too early and then I was like stuck <laughs> sleeping in ridiculous places like I sent my tent up in apartment courtyards because I was like well Maybe it's safe, and there's so many people that live here. Like, maybe one of the families thinks another family is just camping in the courtyard um, and just finding random places to sleep and a lot of suffering. But I made it to Colorado, <laughs> and then I found a ride back home. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing that again. <laughs> I was like, eh, eh, I did that so bad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then it turned into – all sorts of different bike trips after that. I kind of stayed around the Great Lakes. I spent a lot of time touring all over Wisconsin. Um, one year I rode out to Ohio, like essentially rode from Madison over to Chicago, down around Lake Michigan, over into Columbus, Ohio, and then up there to Detroit. And then we took the ferry over Lake Michigan. I met up with a friend halfway through my trip. Um, and then in 2015, I did a tour of the Tour Divide. The Tour Divide is a roughly 2,700-mile mountain bike race that starts in Alberta, Canada, and goes all the way to Mexico. I knew it was a race, but I figured that I could tour it because I'd never really done any mountain biking, and it was a mountain bike race. So um, in the summer of 2015, I took a bus with a friend to Tucson, um, Arizona, and then we started at the Mexico border and rode over 45 days north to Alberta, Canada on the 
tour divide mountain bike route. And that was like the start of crazy long bike trips for me. That's so crazy. Mexico to Canada. Yeah. That's long. That's a long ride. Yeah, it took us like a month and a half or two months, close to two months. How many bikes do you have? Uh, the old bike question. You know, at one point when I was living in Madison, I had a boyfriend um, and he had like 12 bikes and I had like 12 bikes and we had a, a like 24 bikes in the basement between the two of us. <laughs> Uh, since then, I've gotten rid of some, and now I have maybe like five or six bikes. Um, I try to, some of them are working, some of them are just like, I stole parts off of it for this race or that <laughs> race, so they're not quite working. Um, I gave one of my bikes to my friend's son. I was going to like, I was trying to be a good person. I'm like, you can just have this. But then I got so sentimental about what it meant. And I was like, you can use this bike for an undetermined amount of time, but I might want it back someday. But pretend like it's your <laughs> bike and you can take it to college with you when you go to college. But it's still my bike, but you can use it. Um, so <laughs> some of them I have a little bit of sentimental issues with getting rid of. But I usually, um, like I have a fat bike for riding in the snow uh and then i have a gravel bike which has gears on it and i can kind of put some skinnier tires on it and use it for um road riding or riding on dirt roads um and then i have like three or four hardtail so i have suspension up front and it's hardtail in the back bicycles and they're Stuffed in my mom's basement and currently taking up a lot of space in my friend's garage. Like, I don't know. I don't want to get a storage unit, but people are going to get tired of me being like, hey, can I store my stuff here? <laughs> Will I figure out my life? Just slide them a 20. Yeah, I'd be like, here. Here's 20. Yeah, I'd be like, here, I have some 20 and some sage. <laughs> Super spiritual. What's your favorite place to bike around here then? Oh, I mean... Cloquet proper, Pine Valley is great. Super fun trails. You can ride all the trails. There's like seven miles. You can ride them in an hour or two or three. Um, you can just do good loops. And you actually get some vert. Um, you get some climbing in, which is nice. I can get out of breath. But there's lots of like whoopies and fun stuff <laughs> and ramps. And, you know, you can practice skills. There's some skinnies to ride, some like little logs. Um, so you can practice it's, you know, everybody can ride it. There's fr there's trails down at the bottom, like green trails, that super ex inexperienced riders can ride and gain some confidence. And there's some more chunky, rocky stuff up on the ridge. And, like, everybody of every skill level can ride mountain bikes out there. So I love that place for going with friends who are newer to mountain biking or, like, some of my um, more competitive bike friends if they're in town. You know, that's still where I'll take them. It's fun for for everyone, and they're great. Um, but then Duluth has, you know, like, what, 50 or 60 miles, a pretty they epic a, trail. They have a lot. Yeah. yeah. Or you can actually, like, also get some real climbing. You know, you, like, ride your bike up for 10 minutes, uh, which people are like, isn't it flat in the Midwest? I'm like, I call it the Great Lakes, and it's not <laughs> flat here. Thank you. Um, so Duluth has great riding, and then so does up here or in Cloquet. Um, and then also fat biking all up along the North Shore in the winter. I do a, a good ride from Duluth to Grand Portage every winter. Oh, really? Yeah, like on the Bear Grease Trail, like around the race time, I volunteer with the, the sled dog race. And so I ride my bike from here to volunteer at the Sawbill Checkpoint and then uh, ride all the way to Grand Portage with the race kind of. That's cool. That's so crazy. It's super How fun. How far you bike all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. It's like the first day is so hard, but then you get into a rhythm. of Like, now I just live outside. Now this is just my life. <laughs> it's great. Did you ride your bike here? <laughs> no. <laughs> I ain't done nothing since the Colorado Trail, except for eat. You know, like on those races, I think I, I probably lost 20 pounds, you know, just from sheer doing hard stuff and 
you know, you're eating like it's a job. It's not yeah. really, you're never really eating a full, I'm never really eating like full meals. And like just, you don't stop and sit down at a restaurant. No, I'm like eating a half of a Snickers every half an hour. <laughs> just like it's fuel. It gets very business like. I was um, going to ask like, what, what do you eat on? Because you can't carry like a lot, can you? I, can, I should show you some photos, but, you know, I have the, a bag in the triangle of my bicycle, and I shove all my food in there. And I can usually carry, like, three days' worth of food. Um, in the past, I've definitely done better with food. The Colorado Trail Race, I was really struggling to eat. I brought lots of bars and, like, oh, complete cookies, which are literally the worst thing I've <laughs> ever eaten during a bike race. I, a horrible mistake. Um, but lots of candy bars and potato chips, like Doritos, tend to be. Like, I can usually choke down Doritos anytime. And the family-sized bag of Doritos can pack, like, this small, like, four inch, four inches in diameter. And it's, like, 3,000 calories, which is, you know, like, a half a day's worth of food. And it weighs nothing compared to, you know, like, that many calories of burritos is heavy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So lots of lots of chips, chocolate milk when I get to a gas station or something, or like heavy whipping cream or like any chocolate milk, really? Oh yeah, just it's just like so many calories, like so good and so refreshing when you're out there. Or like sometimes Gatorade when it's really hot. If I'm sweating a lot, it's just like the sugars. It's like gasoline in your body when you're doing really hard things like that. But nothing, like, crazy. I really hate any race-specific food, which was why I I don't know why I thought bringing 40 pro bars was a good idea. But by, like, my, my fourth pro bar, I was like, I can't eat this anymore. <laughs> why did I do this? So real food is a good idea. So that's that's the secret to it's Doritos. Doritos. Yeah, it's <laughs> Doritos and beef sticks. Like, I can usually choke those down, even if I'm not hungry. It's... Super wild to, th I'm a good eater. I eat real good in my day to day life. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to bike racing, it just turns into like this job where I'm like, oh, I gotta eat this thing. God, it's such a weird relationship to develop with food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, now I have to eat again. Has it already been an hour? Where it's like, oh, it's only been an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is one essential thing? that you want to bring on a long, like, tour or race? Like a luxury item or something that you better not forget or you might die? Let's do both. Okay. My better not forget or you'll die is some sort of water purification setup. Whether it's tabs, there's, like, iodine tablets or aqua tabs or all sorts of, like, chemical stuff you can put into your water that'll treat it or mm -hmm. a water filter, which... Like, I like the water filter because then it's just going through a filter and you squeeze it through a bag or some sort of purification hose. Um, but sometimes in, like, really short races where, it ma like, time matters. Like, every five minutes matters. So you don't want to spend five minutes filtering. I'll use yeah. iodine tablets. Um, and that's pretty, like, you have to do that because sometimes towns are, like, one or two or three days away uh, and all your water comes from the surface and... And a lot of the places I'm racing out west are public lands. Um, so there's lots of grazing and stuff and cattle. So mm. Lots of animals pooping in the water. So you just have to have some sort of way to make sure that you can get yourself clean water. Um, and then luxury. Man, one more pair of socks than you think you need. Like having nice <laughs> or having dry, clean socks is like... The best thing in the world. All those points of contact on your bike after time gets sore. Like, so many people underestimate their sock game. And there's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's real. If you can't walk or pedal, like, your feet get super sore. You're, like, riding the same pair of socks for, like, one or two days. They start to get crispy, and then you take them off, and, like, it's still the shape it's of your foot. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So having an extra pair of socks is, like, definitely. I'd be like, oh, I only need three socks pairs of socks for this race yeah stuff one more in there for like that secret emergency sock need right so i would have never thought socks 
I know most people don't. I I maybe bring more socks than anybody else out there, but I never <laughs> regret it when I'm putting on. It's like the last day of a race, and you know, there's a lot of hike of biking, which is like walking your bike. Like, oh, my feet hurt, but hey, I put some nice cushiony socks on, and it is just like glorious. You know, you get so sweaty or sinky or wet this Colorado trail race recently was super wet the wettest race I've ever raced in and everybody that finished had some some form of trench foot like on a scale of one to ten and that's where your feet just like are super monstrous (laughs) get moldy (laughs) yeah they get moldy and like the cracks of your foot like all the skin gets wrinkly but like in between those wrinkles it like gets infected and hurt it just hurts super bad It just sounds like it hurts. Yeah. I never had that before, but it was like six days of because you bring extra socks. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing those extra socks. Yeah. Uh, six days of rain is a lot, though. And when, you know, you're in your shoes for 20 or 22 hours a day, you kind of forget how luxurious it is. To, yeah. Your body hurts in ways where you're like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. Hmm. My feet hurt. <laughs> I thought standing on my feet for a shift at the grocery store was hard. And you're pedaling up mountains and you're pushing on your foot all day long. Yeah, like when when I went to Pine Valley for the first time, I'm like, oh, I didn't know lungs can hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like breathing hard. I was the same way, but like when I first started, my butt hurt so bad. And I'm like... Am I doing something wrong? Am I sitting on the bike wrong? Somebody help me. <laughs> well, and that is super real. There are different seats or saddles. Mm-hmm. Um, your saddle is supposed to, like, the widest parts of the saddle are supposed to be where your sit bones are. You have two bones in your butt yep. that, like, all you sit on. Um, so you can measure those and then get a saddle that's the appropriate size. But a lot of people are riding either really two little ones or two bigger ones can cause problems, too like chafing in the back of the leg and your inner thighs yeah. if it's too big. So it is uncomfortable, though. It's not sitting on a couch by any means. Like, right. Oh, my butt. <laughs> so that kind of leads me into my next question, too, is what could somebody expect if they're trying to get into, like, biking or, like, if they're looking for a good bike, how much could they expect to, to spend on a decent bike? Yeah, no, that's real. That's real, and that's hard ask, stuff. I don't know if I should ask you how much you spend on your bikes. <laughs> no, well, I got sponsored, so now I don't have to <laughs> buy any of my bikes. But, nice. you know, at one point I was buying bikes, and I've worked at lots of bike shops. Um, and it's really hard to get a solid, reliable bicycle. Most people, like a, a mountain bike, for example, if I'm helping any of my friends get a mountain bike, I say, you're probably going to spend between 500 and $1,000 to get a proper bicycle. A real bicycle is a vehicle. You know, it's super serious. You have professional people building it because you need your brakes to work. You need the bike to work. You end up going like 40 miles an hour down a hill sometimes on a road, and you have to expect that everything's bolted down and attached to rights. So there's like the craftsmanship of building a bike and getting a bike from a bike shop. I always recommend like new people get their bikes built by a professional bike mechanic because it's very real stuff. It is a vehicle. It's not just a toy. Um, Now, if you have some knowledge or a friend who knows stuff about bikes, maybe you can get one off Craigslist for like three or 500 bucks. But if you get a single speed bike, it'll be cheaper because you don't have to worry about any of the shifting components. Um, so that is another reason I do like the single speed. It's just cheaper and more affordable. Um, but say you spend five hundred to a thousand dollars on a bicycle, and it's just super capable. You could start showing up to bike races on a bicycle like that. Like when I started doing my bike races, I had a, a Surly Krampus, which was like a thousand bucks at the time, and I rode that bike across the country. I raced it in mountain bike races until it got stolen. Um, and that was a great bike. It did what I needed. You spend X amount of money, you know, keeping it tuned up and whatnot for a year. It's no different than a car. Yeah. You know, you have to put money into it to make sure that it works and that it's reliable. Mm-hmm. But 
most bike shops, like even around here, I used to work at Continental Ski and Bike in Duluth, and the people there are super nice. Nobody's trying to like sell you anything that you don't need, and you can go into a bike shop um, generally and just be like, hey, this is what kind of riding I want to do or that I'm looking to do. And um, when you're going into a bike shop, like, sure, it can be super intimidating. Um, but just be honest with people. Be like, hey, I don't know this, or this is how much money I'm looking to spend, or do you have any recommendations for what kind of bike I should get? And then, you know, help them get you on the right size bike because that also matters. I didn't know there was so much in the <laughs> <laughs> just to get started. It's Yeah, and that's just, like, what I think. Like, if you want to take it seriously, you'll have more fun on a bike that fits you and on a bike that works than – on like a cheapo dilapidated bike like you might not ride it so I just think that it's just more fun if it fits you and if it works and then that might keep you riding bikes more and then eventually you know getting more you know, showing up to a bike race what's your what's your go-to brand um well now like I ride for a company that makes bikes, like handmade bikes. So my bikes are all oh, they're all custom. Yeah, they're all <laughs> custom now. Um, but it wasn't always that way. I was always buying my bikes, like scrappy no name bikes off Craigslist. Um, but every bike is different, you know. Like all the mainstream brands, like there's Trek and Giant and Specialized and Fuji. Um, but any bike that you see sold in a bike shop is pro- a good brand, and they all fit different. Like, I think I remember Fuji bikes tended to be a little bit, have longer top tubes, so I'd recommend that for people that had longer torsos and shorter legs, and then Giant bikes were the other opposite. If you had longer legs and a shorter torso, or just like whatever bike feels good. They're all kind of made the same way. They all kind of probably come from Taiwan. It's, you know, it's not like they're super different in how they're manufactured or built. Little tweaks in geometry, but otherwise, if it's sold at a bike shop, it's a good bike. So, I don't, I think, I don't know if you answered this part, but if someone were to get into biking, what is the best advice that you would give them? Oh, I think there's a couple of things. Like, it's going to be hard, and you're probably going to think you suck at it. But, like, as long as you're out there, that's fine. Things are going to scare you. I think it's really good to go out with somebody. If you can find somebody who maybe is a little more experienced than you, cause following somebody, like, following their line helps you improve your skills. Riding with people who are a little bit faster and stronger than you helps you improve your skills. But just being humble about the learning curve. Like, it's hard. Yeah. It's a lot harder than people think sometimes. And you're like, oh, I'm so out of shape. Or, oh, I'm really bad at this. But I just think people should be a little bit more kind to themselves. Like, you're out there doing it. It's a lot more than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, And then having understanding how your bike works. Like, making sure that you can lubricate your chain. Making sure you know how to pump up your tires. And just checking your bike before your bike ride. Make sure your tires are pumped up. Make sure your bike shifts and make sure that you can stop. Just making sure your bike works before you take it on, you know, trails or on, yeah. a, on a paved trail or something because flat tires happen and you don't want to get stranded five miles away from your car or True. something like that. So having stuff to having the knowledge and wherewithal to pump up your tires or change a flat tire or um, just know that those things happen and your bike isn't broken if you get a flat tire. Uh, It is super easy to fix. You can take it to a bike shop or you can watch YouTube videos to figure it out. There's so many YouTube videos that will teach you how to change a flat bike tire and you'll totally, like you can totally get, you can totally learn how to do it and your bike isn't broken. Um, Because I do run into that a lot or I used to and at the bike shop people be like, my bike doesn't work or I haven't been riding it in a year because I got a flat tire. Like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> that's super easy to fix you know it's like a 20 dollar service thing at a bike shop or you know six bucks with a new tube and you can do it yourself i'd rather just take it in do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough that's fair well i guess my my last question would probably be how do you keep the motivation on like 500 mile bike rides or the one from mexico to canada like 
how do you keep yourself going forward? Oh, it's such a roller coaster too. Um, it's been a while since I've done that Canada to Mexico bike race. And that one's really hard to keep in the competitive game for 18 days. It took me on my fastest run. Um, it's like 18 days of like, okay, now I'm going to ride my bike 150 miles again today. And tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing. And the race field kind of gets spread out a little bit and you see fewer and fewer people so often it's just like you and some cows or like <laughs> I don't I don't really know how to keep going but it's just such a roller coaster of self love and testing like there's moments where I'm so tired and I'm just sitting on the side of the road with my bike and I'm like I am so tired. I cannot ride my bike any further. And then you just kind of sit there. Like, okay. But I have to. And then you get up, and then you ride your bike. And then you start to feel super happy and free, and you're climbing up a mountain. And I'm like, I wish everybody could see me right now and how cool I look and how awesome I feel. And to think about how far, like, I've come with my relationship with my own body and myself. And I'm like, Wow. I used to hate my body so much, and now I'm riding my bike across the country and up mountains, and I'm winning, and, like, wow, this is an amazing experience. And then you go back down the mountain, and it's a flat road, and you're just sitting there on the side of the road again. You're walking your bike (laughs) on flat road, and you're like, why am I racing my bike? So it goes up and down, and you feel highs and feel lows, but it's just an amazing ability to, like, believe in yourself and then to actually do it like it wasn't always like that I quit lots of things you know like having my mom come pick me up yeah but like signing up for more events and trying over again and trying over again until you finally start to have some self-esteem and believe in yourself and then that takes you further and faster and ultimately it just is this evolution of self-love and respect for everybody who came before you that allowed you to be able to do this. Like I think about that all the time, like all the things that my ancestors went through and now I am so privileged. I get to ride my bike for fun and I get to tell stories about riding my bike and I get to meet all these people and have all these experiences and really expand my mind and my brain. And gosh, I just get to, really live freely in a peaceful way and not have to worry about survival and I just think about how the best way I know of honoring that is just like doing what I love so I think about lots of different things that keep me going Um, but yeah it's like lots of love and gratitude now it evolved love and gratitude keep me going that's awesome yeah thanks do you have any upcoming events or races that you are going to participate in yeah my next race is the arizona trail race um that race starts at the mexico border also and then rides um it goes 800 miles north to the utah border when's that one then that one's October. It starts October twentieth. Oh, okay. Um, but once you reach the southern edge of the Grand Canyon, you have to disassemble your bike and attach it to your backpack and hike <laughs> down oh. into the Grand Canyon, carry it across the Colorado River, and hike out the Grand Canyon on the other side. That's crazy. It's so hard. I did it last year, and that might have been the physically hardest thing I've ever done it's like 60 pounds of awkward weight on your back um yeah it's really hard but at least I know how hard it is um going into it again yeah you kind of forget I'm like that's not so bad (laughs) I'll be down in the bottom of the Grand Canyon like why (laughs) so yep that one's coming up in a month and I've only been eating casserole for weeks and (laughs) gaining weight so i should probably start training well 
wish you the best of luck. Thanks. There's a website. It's called trackleaders.com um, where we all have, like, all the people competing have little dots. Oh, And cool. you can see who's where and oh, cool. how it unfolds. And that's really fun because we all carry little trackers with us. So it's kind of fun to just, like, obsessively refresh on your computer <laughs> screen and be like, oh, they only moved 0.2 miles? <laughs> Why are they going so slow? So, yeah, trackleaders.com. It's called the Arizona Trail Race, and people can follow along if they want. That's cool. I didn't know that they did that. I suppose, that, is yeah. it a safety thing, too, then? Uh, kind of, like the spot tracker. Yeah. You can, if you're really in a pickle, um, I would say, oh, really in life or death situations, um, you should only use their little SOS thing. Most of the people going out for these races should be prepared and should understand, you know, how to survive in the wild and to make good choices to keep you safe and um, not jeopardize your health or safety. But we carry trackers just in case because there's lots of places without cell service. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's super long and remote uh, terrain. But then, you know, it's fun to kind of see where everybody is and, um, yeah, keep everyone safe. Well, cool. we'll have to check that out. Yeah, we're definitely going to. Yeah, dot watch. They're called people that watch are <laughs> dot watchers. <laughs> um, it's super fun. You find yourself like yelling at the computer screen, or I do. <laughs> I get like, why are you stopped? <laughs> it's like, you know, two in the morning and people are sleeping for three hours. I'm like, you should be riding still. Which <laughs> is easy. It's easy to speculate because you don't know the weather. You know, so right. many people, like, even still, I've bike ri- I've ridden so many bike rides. And I always picture it, like, sunny and 72, like, on a bike ride. I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Like, the but whole time. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> Every day, like, 2 in the morning, sunny and 72. But, <laughs> you know, it's, like, dark and windy and cold and rainy sometimes. And there's snow and all sorts of stuff happens out there. Or animals or, like, some reason you can't get across the trail. And, you know, you have no idea. Or somebody gets a flat tire or a mechanical and they're stuck on the side of the road fixing stuff. You have to wait for a gas station to open. There's so many things that just yeah. happen. It's easy to speculate about what's happening uh, <laughs> with those little dots. That's well, very we, cool. We wish you the best of luck. We're definitely going to dot watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. And also, we just wanted to thank you for coming down mm-hmm. and doing the interview with us. and yeah, us very like, eye-opening. Yeah, and, and telling us about your passion. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. Super cool what you guys are doing. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Well, I guess to the answer, remember when I said I was going to remember it? Completely (laughs) forgot. Did you forget? (laughs) So the question was, what is the longest bike race in the world? I don't know. The overall longest? Like Mm -hmm. a race or a tour? Or is that like the same thing? No, I think a tour is like when you can stop and have a latte. And okay. look at the sunset or sunrise. Racing is like, go for it at all costs. Then I have no idea. Because I was going to say, like, the Tour de France or something along those lines. But, I mean, that the distance that t- they cover is pretty far. But yeah. it's like a stage race. So they're not always racing. They start over every day. Like, you race and then stop and then race and then stop. So is that your guess, Tour de France? Yeah. <laughs> What's yours? I would say the Tour Divide. It's actually, it's called the Trans-Siberian Extreme. Oh, sure. That sounds far. (laughs) It's 9,103 kilometers in 25 days. Holy. Is that, that's a road race, I'm guessing, probably. I think so, yeah. There's a lot of pictures of people on, like, the roads and stuff, but it's about... What is that in miles? I was going to say. Because I, I don't it's know It's like 6,000 maybe, It's like right? 5,600 yeah. miles. It's like, that's a long It's like twice, almost twice the size of the United States. That's very far. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the, like, there's a, a east to west bike route, but some people race on that, and that might be actually pretty long, too. But three, like 3,000 miles. That's, I don't, I could never see myself doing that. Like, would I want to do it? Sure. But could I see myself doing it? Maybe Would not. I quit within 20 <laughs> miles? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's just like you wake up and do your best every day. Yeah. And at some point, you can. your best gets a little better. But, you know, if 
you can only ride 20 miles a day. You better take a lot of time <laughs> off to do it. But you still could do it, you know? All right. Well. That's all I got. All right. Well, thank you again. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Well, from all of us here at Middle of the Res Road, we'll see you next week. And. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.